Hello, and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 73. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Happy Father's Day. This episode is dropping on Dad's Day. So, happy day to all you dads out there and stepdads, brothers who fill the role of dad, kindly next-door neighbor who helps, you know, fix that bicycle, and all the moms who have to or get to fill the dad role. It's a day for you guys, and I appreciate you taking time out of that day to listen to this show. Whether that day is Father's Day or Monday or a Tuesday in the year 3014, thanks. And if it is the year 3014, uh, look me up, because I plan to still be here. I'm not going anywhere. All right, uh, so what's going on this week, guys? Um... I guess we'll start off with the sad thing. By the time I record this, this is kind of old news, but it's no less sad. Adam West, of course, passed away recently. He was TV's Batman in the 1960s. Um, He kind of helped revive Batman, actually, as hokey and campy as that show was. At that time, Batman was kind of in a a funk, uh, kind of in a lull in popularity, and, and that doofy little show help bring it back. Uh, I'm not old enough to have seen Batman in the original run, but I watched a ton of reruns as a kid, and I loved that show. It was great. It had, for a kid, the right amounts, uh, the right amount of action and plots where you could sort out, okay, here's good guys versus bad guys, but not so complicated that you get confused or bored, uh, even worse for a kid, uh, to bore them. And color and goofiness and drama and, you know, Batgirl. Um, uh, that didn't hurt either. Chief O'Hara, the commissioner, um, Egghead, Penguin, Joker, Riddler, uh, you know, Frank Gorshin, come on. He was awesome. It amazes me I don't own that show on DVD. I should. Maybe someone out there wants to send me the DVDs of the Batman TV series. Um, if not for me, then for my kid, because this would be right up uh, Henry's alley. Uh, so I think I need to, to teach him about that. And Adam West did all of that. And for you know every decade of his life after that, that's what people knew about Adam West. He did other things, of course, but he was always, once and forever, Batman. And unlike a lot of celebrities who get jaded, he actually seemed to kind of embrace it and appreciated it. And we appreciated him for that. So, you know, rest in peace, Adam West. We'll be seeing you. Same bat time, same bat channel. All right. What else is going on, guys? I got a little bit of feedback. Our buddy Sean from Pie Factory and the Atari Homebrew Podcast sent me an email picking up on something. Count on Sean for this. His email is not about the game that I played on the last episode. It's about a comment, a stray little comment I made at the top of the show when I was doing my little introduction. I said, uh, you know, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game, see if that story bites us back. And then I say, hi, this is Bill, you know, episode whatever. We're back, guys. We're doing it again. And I said something about it being the age of Aquarius, specifically referring to like 1971. And I said, it was the age of Aquarius. I also said, uh, I didn't really know if that was true or not. And it was just sort of a goofy little throwaway comment. Sean, of course, picked up on it. And 
because he is a very intelligent, well-rounded, well-versed in many areas kind of guy. He had thoughts about the age of Aquarius, and I will share those with you as soon as I can find the email. Talk amongst yourselves for a moment. Wonder if Alex Trebek is gonna sue me. Ah, here it is. Hi, Bill, and happy Thursday, Sean writes. He wrote this to me on a Thursday. You mentioned the age of Aquarius in your last episode and being the annoyingly helpful twit than I am. Psst, Sean, I just got done telling people that you were an intelligent, rounded person. I thought that was the story we were going with. All right. Uh, annoyingly helpful twit it is, I guess. All right, so here's what the annoyingly helpful twit says. Uh, I thought I'd give you a little bit of info. Of course, probably the default thought that comes into mind when the phrase Age of Aquarius is uttered is the song Aquarius, which was from the second act of a short-lived 1967 musical a few people may have heard of called Hair. Um, Yep, total bomb of musical. No one's ever heard of it since, Sean. So we don't know what you're talking about. Um... In 1968, it moved to Broadway, and Aquarius was moved to not only the first act, but the first song of the show, period. And suddenly, a buttload of people heard of it. Now, I'm not into musicals, Sean says, but I'm majorly into hair. In fact, my wife and I are friends with Walter Michael Harris, name dropper, who was a teenager when he was in the show. He can be heard singing the lower harmony in the song, What a Piece of Work is Man, on the 1968 cast recording. Jeez, I have an interesting array of friends. A former Atari tech writer, an original Heritage member. Anywho, people think the song Aquarius is supposed to have this deep, mystical meaning. Well, unfortunately, it's actually pretty superficial. The word Aquarius in the context of the show refers to its main character, Claude Bukowski, who throughout the show is struggling over a major decision. Burn his draft card and risk being thrown into prison, or go to Nam and make his parents proud of him? Every time the word Aquarius is mentioned in the show, it specifically refers to Claude, It was his nickname, possibly the hippie name he adopted. The song Aquarius, when used properly in production, is performed like a tribal ritual, ideally in a circle dance. It's basically the way the cast, or tribe as it's called in the show, introduces Claude. At least twice during the show, Claude says, And I'm Aquarius, destined for greatness or madness. And I'm pretty sure a couple of his friends actually address him as Aquarius once or twice. During the climatic draft card burning scene at the end of Act 1, when it's Claude's turn to burn his card after all the other guys in the tribe have done so, they invite him to the flaming trash can by singing these infamous four notes from the song, Aquarius. At the beginning of Act 2, Claude appears out of nowhere after, by the way, that was my Broadway edition, so, you know, Sondheim or somebody, if you're casting, uh, look me up. I got my bags packed. Um... So then Sean says, at the beginning of Act 2, a Claude appears out of nowhere after the theater lights burn out. In some productions, he's welcomed, in some productions, he's welcomed to the strains of a very short reprise of the song Aquarius. In the protest rally near the end of the show, some of the tribe are looking for Claude, and the tribe once again attempts to summon him by singing the four-note Aquarius motif. So yeah, the song Aquarius itself really is just a goofy way to address or conjure Claude. But is there actually a real age of Aquarius that has nothing to do with hair or any other hippy-trippy stuff of the times? Sure. I refer you to Cecil Adams and his long-running column, The Straight Dope, my source for many, many pieces of trivia. All right, Sean. Let's do it. 
I'm not going to read you this whole article, but I'll kind of give you the highlights here. He says, The age of Aquarius introduced with such hype back in the 60s isn't actually due on the scene until 2150 AD. Astrological ages apparently last for 2150 years. The previous age, the age of Pisces, began with the birth of Christ. And then there's a whole bunch more stuff. Like I said, I'm not going to read that to you. It's at the Straight Dope. It's an article by... It's an article called, When Did the Age of Aquarius Officially Start? From July 6, 1990. If I think of it, I will put a link to the Straight Dope column in the show notes. If I don't think of it, well, uh, then I don't think of it, I guess. Back to Sean's email. When, what surprised me, he says, is when the age of Aquarius actually is. Wow. Uh, I agree. Uh, I did not expect that answer either, and I've already read that Straight Dope article and surprised myself all over again tonight reading it for this podcast. I responded to him, of course, thank you, and I'm thanking you again, Sean, for the information. I admitted to him that one of my many, many faults is that I have never actually seen a production of Hair. I've certainly heard of it. I had kind of a sense of what it was. I did not know that it was, in reality, the age of Claude, um, but I had kind of a sense of what the show was. Uh, beyond that, although I've never actually seen it, he, of course, tells me that you know, I shouldn't uh, despair too much and says, thing is, uh, with hair, you got to be careful. It needs to be a good production. Short-running, like couple-weekend community theater versions, tend to be either too stick-to-the-script boring or let's be totally crazy with experimentation and reinterpretation. You need to see either a truly professional version of it or at least one that might not be so much professional, but one that's promising enough that it actually gets coverage in local papers ahead of time. Basically, a sign that the cast and crew are all in this, are all in to get the message out rather than just put on a play. All right, so apparently Sean is the man to talk to about Aquarius, Age of Aquarius. I am going to run right out now and find a production. So here I go. Do dee do dee do dee do. Sorry, sorry. I won't do that again. I fooled you though, didn't I? That I'd actually run out of the studio. So if you have thoughts about Age of Aquarius, write to me and let me know what you think. If you've seen a production, if you've been in a production, um, let me know. I would be curious to know that. All right. In other feedback, our friend Jim at Yinksy on Twitter tweeted at me uh, recently about my Choplifter episode with the nasty, nasty, but comically named Bunglings, those evildoers who took all those hostages at the uh, World Peace Summit. He says that the Bungling Empire was also in other broader bun games, Load Runner and Raid on Bungling Bay. I'm sorry, but Raid on Bungling Bay just sounds funny, even though I suspect it's a very serious military game. Uh, I've never played any of these. Uh, I've never heard of the Bunglings before. I'm not really even sure uh, that I know anything about them now, because they exist in Choplifter in name only. Um, You don't really get much of a sense of them, other than they are apparently not very good hostage takers. But anyway, thanks Jim for the information. I will look for the Bunglings you know what? I think now I'm actually going to look for other broader bund games just so I can find more bunglings and see if they've got kind of a, if they get any sort of development or if they get any better at their jobs. All right, one last thing to mention before I get into this week's game. I was excited to see somebody posted on Facebook today that there is apparently a new Atari console coming out and everyone is kind of intrigued. Everyone who cares about Atari consoles, of course. End Gadget put up an article on June 13th called Atari 2600 fans get the revival console they deserve. In that article they point out that you can find Atari games pretty easily now if you want. You can 
you know, find the con old consoles and cartridges on eBay. You can get a flashback. You can find collections of the games, you know, for the PC or like the Xbox. I think has one or two uh, compilations of Atari games on them. So if you just want to play the games, you can find them. But apparently now there's an option for all of you people listening who have a bunch of cartridges, but either don't have or have, but it's dying, uh, you know, an original console. Because, let's face it, original consoles from the heyday of Atari are pretty old now, and technology wears out. So for you people who have those cartridges you still want to play, but you don't have a vintage console to play them on, uh, you've got this new option, which is called Retro N77. It is apparently a console that lets you play games in 1080 at a modern aspect ratio right out of the box. Hyperkin is building these things. They have a long history, according to this article, of making modern versions of classic consoles, uh, the SNES and Genesis in particular. Uh, apparently this console lets you use original joysticks, but also has USB ports. No price given yet, but there are apparently hints that the game's going to retail somewhere around 80 bucks, which doesn't sound too bad, I guess. And evidently there's no release date either, but it'll be sometime around the holidays. I assume meaning like the Christmas holidays. I guess I'm intrigued? I don't know. I mean, the article starts off by pointing that, pointing out that you can find games if you want to find Atari games. I don't know if people really want a brand new console to play old cartridges on. Maybe they do, because now I kind of want one. I am curious, because it's going to have USB ports. I wonder if it's going to have, maybe it's said in the article, if you can, you know, play like, uh, you know, other kinds of games. If you can download games to it or something, which would open up some more options. I also kind of wonder if maybe, just maybe, there are going to be new games on cartridges. New Atari-style games on cartridge. You know, officially licensed mainstream games that you can buy. That begs the question, who's going to want to do that? And first I thought, well, nobody, really, because who wants to buy game computer games now on hardware, right? Everybody downloads their games now, the new ones anyway. But then it occurred to me, well... All of us listening to this podcast probably have a bunch of cartridges laying around, and we're probably continuing to collect them because we like them. And it's the same idea as people buying music by new artists on vinyl, right? People love vinyl, even though there are plenty of other options for listening to music. Maybe it's the same idea with Atari cartridges. Maybe people would still buy cartridges just for the opportunity to have that nostalgia value of plugging a cartridge into a console, but playing a new game that they haven't gotten to play before, that didn't exist before. So I guess I can see that. I don't know if they're going to do that or not. I kind of hope they do. That may make me more inclined to get one of these things, if that's an option. But you know what? I might get it anyway, if nothing else, as a way to have a backup for the old Atari console that I have, because even though it works pretty well now, it's getting pretty old, and it's going to die eventually. And I don't necessarily have the skill to fix it. And even if I do, it may be something that's not fixable. And then... This podcast will be week after week of complete silence, interspersed with my cats meowing into the microphone. And maybe that's the thing you guys want. Tell you what, email me if you'd like me to do an episode of silence interspersed with cats meowing into a microphone, and I will take it um, under consideration with management. All right. In other news, there is no other news. So let's move on to this week's game. This week's game is River Raid 2. This time, it's personal. All right, I added the tagline. This is an Activision game from 1988. Uh, everybody knows River Raid. Everyone loves River Raid. 
So I was excited back when I was a new podcaster and was starting to think about Atari seriously for the first time in, frankly, many, many years. And I started getting wind of this thing called River Raid 2. At first I thought it was a, you know, a mirage, a, a, a fake-out, a, a ghost in the distance that people thought existed but didn't really. And then I found out it was real, and and I say my mind was blown a lot on this podcast. This time, I'm serious. There was brain matter all over the place. So I had to get it, and I did, and now I played it. And here's how you can play it if you would like to do that. River Raid 2 was designed by Dan Kitchen and programmed by Imagineering Inc. The game is based on River Raid, which was designed by Carol Shaw. As I'm reading this, I'm realizing suddenly that it is very dark in this room for some reason. Uh, It's like I've got sort of mood lighting going on for that sultry, late-at-night, intimate feeling that I strive for here on Atari Bytes. What are you wearing? Just kidding. Um, It just... I don't know if I didn't pay the electric bill or, you know didn't spring for the expensive light bulbs or what, but it is actually kind of dark in here. So I am going to read this as best I can. Alone in your F-14 assault jet, you're about to undertake the most explosive mission in your celebrated flying career. After taking off from a sea-based carrier, you'll tear through the skies above the ocean and streak toward a river delta, where you must destroy an enemy bridge. Once past the delta, you must navigate back to the center, back to the carrier, and safely land. Without stopping for handshakes all around, you'll then set off on a new, more dangerous mission. This is no contest for amateurs. Once airborne, you'll have to refuel in midair without outmaneuvering enemy fire. Sorry, while outmaneuvering enemy fire. If you manage to outduel these fearless devils by blasting them with missiles or torpedoes, you'll also win points. If you don't make it, two backup planes will come to your rescue. Your missions will continue until your squadron's name is history. Uh, getting started. Turn on the TV. Plug in the joysticks. One player game uses the left joystick. Turn on the TV. Uh, oh, sorry. The, turn on the TV was actually step number three. Press select, choose one or two player game. Difficulty switches A and B, as always. Switch A is the expert position, allows unguided missiles and torpedoes to shoot straight ahead only. Switch B, the novice position, lets you guide your missiles and torpedoes with the joystick controller after firing. Which, to me, sounds like cheating. To begin uh, the game, press the joystick button to reset, and a two-player game player one starts the game and takes off first. To take off, press the joystick button again, holding it down to accelerate down the carrier runway. As you reach the end of the runway, quickly pull back on the joystick until you're airborne. Once you're airborne, your thrust bar will be placed by an altimeter. To increase altitude, pull back on the joystick. To decrease altitude, push forward on the joystick. Increasing your altitude will slow you down. Decreasing your altitude will speed you up. I have this image in my head of... Ted Stryker, or, or rather uh, Colonel What's-His-Face, Robert Stack, in airplane, talking to Ted Stryker up in the plane uh, over the uh, over the radio and trying to tell him how flying a, 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 a commercial aircraft, a, a commercial jet, is different than flying a fighter plane. Um, for some reason, that's what's playing in my head right now. So let's all take a break to go watch Airplane. All right, that was hilarious, wasn't it? Welcome back. Watch your altimeter, the instruction manual tells us. If you fly too low, you'll crash. The altimeter bar flashes red when you're dangerously low. If you fly over land, when the altimeter bar is flashing, you'll crash. The radar screen pinpoints your position throughout your mission and will identify the missile targets as a flashing blip. 
to bank right or left with joystick in the direction you want to go. To refuel, fly over gold refueling planes that are flying in your direction. These planes appear only over the ocean, so watch your fuel gauge. At the river, you can refuel by flying at low altitude and picking up gold buoys floating in the water. A warning sound will tell you when your fuel level is dangerously low. If you run out of fuel, you'll crash. Avoid collisions with enemy helicopters, fighter jets, and flak bursts, or you'll be today's headline. To fire missiles at helicopters and jets, press the joystick button. To drop torpedoes on enemy sea vessels, tanks, water towers, landing strips, buildings, or bridges, press the joystick button while pulling back on the joystick. You cannot destroy enemy flak bursts. Just stay out of their way. In the uh, field report today, I expressed some confusion about what those things are, because I had forgotten that the manual tells us what they are. They are enemy flak. So, so now I know. When calm seas appear below, your aircraft carrier is close by. The radar screen will display your altitude and proximity to the ship. Pull the joystick back to maintain your altitude. Hold down the joystick button. The thrust bar replaces the altimeter. Increase your thrust until you reach the aircraft carrier. As soon as you're over the carrier, release the joystick button and quickly push the joystick forward to land. The backed up jets in your squadron will take over if you crash, run out of fuel, or are hit by the enemy. Whenever a new plane steps in, it will continue the mission at the position where the last plane was destroyed. Backup planes always begin with a full fuel tank and at the highest altitude. The game ends if you lose all three planes, or you successfully destroy the enemy target and land on the aircraft carrier. At this point, you can start a new game or continue the game with a new, more difficult mission. Each new game or mission begins back on the carrier. River Raid 2 Flying Tips Try to enter the river channel with a full tank of fuel. Fuel is tough to come by at the river scene. Maintain a low altitude when flying over the river. It's easier to swoop down and pick up fuel buoys. Keep a close eye on your radar to locate your mission target. In a two-player game, player one score is displayed in white and player two score is black. Point values range from $100 for a fighter jet to $2,500 for the bridge. And that, friends, is how you play River Raid 2. The Revenge. Okay, again, I added that tagline. They need a tagline. If you're going to make a sequel of something, you got to have a tagline. That's my rule. River Raid 2, much like River Raid, was republished via Microsoft's Game Room service in May 2010. River Raid in May 2010. River Raid 2 came uh, along in June 2010. After the break, Old Man River, Raid That Old Man River. Seriously, Andrew Lloyd Webber, give me a call. I've been thinking about our summer vacation. Airports are noisy and crowded. People are rude. Sometimes there's outright violence on the plane. So I've decided we're going to take a safer alternative to get to our exotic vacation destination. I've rented us a fighter jet. Climb aboard, kids. Just push that button. No, Timmy, you can fire the machine gun later. It's Sally's turn to drop the rockets. Okay, here we go. Alright, I'm on the aircraft carrier. I'm getting ready to hit the thrust and take off. Have the air sick bags ready. And we're off. And I crashed immediately into a helicopter. And it's going to be a very short run.
Okay, here's the thing. I like the look of this game. And I sank in the ocean. Man. I like the look of this game. Pretty much. What am I doing? in the studio. So here's the thing about River Raid 2. I love River Raid. I'm on record as saying Activision games are awesome, and River Raid is no exception. I could play that thing all day. I love the game so much, I did it on the podcast way back in episode 4, when I was just a little baby podcaster. So when I learned that River Raid 2 was a thing, and that it was a thing you could get, I was stoked to do it. And now finally I have, and I've played it, and I've checked it out, and I've gotten an impression of it, and I'm kind of like, eh, it's fine. I mean, let me be clear. I don't hate this game. I don't even dislike the game. I like the game. I just i am not bonkers about it for some reason. I think what bugs me is something I said in the field report, that there's so much stuff on the screen, and the altitude, fuel, and speed indicators take up a good third of the screen. So your play field is rectangular, you know, the long way, you know, horizontally rectangular. And so your play field is really short. So you're flying along even at a moderate speed and you're on top of the enemy, like literally on top of them before you even know they're there. So you just don't have that much time to react. Whereas if you had a little more playing field to deal with, uh, it'd be a little easier. Plus, I don't think in 1988, with the technology Atari was using for these games, they were really up for doing a flight simulator, which is what this game kind of strives to be, right? You've got speed and thrust and altitude and this way to fire rockets and this that way to fire torpedoes. And 
it was striving to be a flight simulator, and it's just not. It's an Atari game uh, where you shoot stuff. So I think I'm not gaga for this game. I don't dislike this game. It's just fine, I guess. I'm sure I'll play it some more, but uh, I, if I have to choose, I'm going to probably choose River Raid 1 over this one. All right, well, enough of gameplay type stuff. We don't care about that stuff on this show. On this show, we care about the characters, the setting, the story, the plot, who provided, you know, digital craft services for the little pixelated characters uh, at the military base, uh, you know, on the aircraft carrier, who cleaned the latrines, who disposed of the airsick ba- air sick, the, the seasick bags. You know, what's their story? That's what we care about on this show. And I think when you think about River Raid 2, as you should at the moment, because if you're listening to this episode and thinking about Qbert or something, I mean, hats off to you for multitasking. But you kind of need to start thinking about River Raid 2 now. Go ahead. Get your mind back around. I'll wait. Okay, good. I think clearly what we have here with River Raid 2, fighter jets and aircraft carriers and brave soldiers blasting things out of the sky, clearly what we've got is... The only Top Gun sequel that you're ever going to need. If you're paying attention to pop culture, you know that it was recently disclosed that Tom Cruise has signed on to star after 80 years in a Top Gun sequel, which, according to an interview I saw with Cruise last night or a couple nights ago, they're supposed to start shooting next year. Tom Cruise is like 94 years old or something, and that movie came out, the first one came out in like 1988. I think maybe the same year that this game did, actually, now I think about it. I'm not positive about that. But it was in the 80s sometime, meaning a very long time ago. Further meaning, if many of my listeners, like me, have very vivid memories of the 80s, we're really old. So, yeah, it's fine. Cruz can go make his bazillion-dollar Top Gun 2 movie next year, but you people can save the price of admission to that theater when... Those, that movie comes out because I'm going to provide you with the more honest and, dare I say, cheaper Top Gun sequel. So, without further ado, here you go. The rundown barbecue joint by the bay is fairly quiet. Only a few sweaty tourists cooling off with cold brew this mid-weekday afternoon. Two middle-aged men shuffle in wearing coveralls as faded as their auras. One has to turn sideways to walk between the jukebox and the piano. The other steps up to the bar, his long, scraggly beard sopping up some of the beer sweat pooled there. He doesn't care. The bearded one snorts. Got to the bar first. I win again. Whatever. Remember, boys, no points for second place. The bearded one's friend lowers his bulk onto the bar stool. The wooden legs creak, but hold. The man surveys the desolate terrain. This is not what I call a target-rich environment, Iceman. You want to turn and burn, Maverick? In the distance, the rumble of jets taking off, one after another. Well, that bridge isn't going to blow itself up. Maverick hasn't blown up anything for a long time. The only explosions he experiences now are occasional bouts of flatulence. When did the glory days end? Well, that's classified. He could tell you, but then he'd have to kill you. Preferably without breaking his own hip. Iceman sips his beer from a glass and steps over to the dusty jukebox. Great balls of fire, he exclaims. What? What? Maverick swirls around, taking out three tables in one of those test-your-grip arcade machines. 
great balls of fire, Iceman repeats. It's number 42 in the jukebox. The roar of F-14s drown out Maverick's response. He's old now, aching back, bad eyesight, hatred of his superiors. At least some things never change. Still, maybe he could go up one more time. He chuckles. He knows this is just his ego writing checks his body can't cash. But the longing is there all the same. You think we still belong in the air, Iceman? Iceman looks surprised. Considers this for a long time. Then clears his throat. <clears throat> well, I think. But Maverick erupts. You don't have time to think up there. If you think you're dead. Now Iceman is just confused. Uh... Maverick grunts. Right. Goose said every time we go up, it's like flying with a ghost. Well, look at us. Old. Useless. Faded. You and me. We're the ghosts. Iceman laughs. All this time and you're still not happy unless you're going Mach 2 with your hair on fire. Can you be happy any other way? Iceman shrugs. He doesn't know what to say. Maverick wants to protest. Call his wingman out for losing his nerve, his edge. But as he tries to pull up the rage, the fire, all that comes up is weariness. Maybe Iceman is right. Maybe Iceman was always right. But then Iceman sits bolt upright. Maverick, I feel the need. Maverick's pulse races. Yes. The need for speed? Iceman shakes his head. No. Metamucil. Maverick nods. He gets his wingman. Feels what he feels. I hear you. What? Speak up. And scene. Tom Cruise, if you're listening, just send the $80 million check to me. Thank you. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can email Atari Bytes, and you really, really should, at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Show notes, other episodes, and other links are available at ataribytes.libsyn.com or in the show notes for this episode. Find this show on Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iTunes, among many other podcatchers, including iHeartRadio. There's some Facebook message thing, I think, that has the podcast on there. Many, many options. When the option is offered, <coughs> iTunes, do please fight the tide to lead this raiding party up the river and leave a review. You can like the show on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Atari Bites, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And do please consider supporting the show financially on our Patreon page. It's the Atari Bytes page. Pretty easy to find. And by shopping at our Zazzle.com store, which has the helpfully clunky name capital A, capital B, underscore pod, underscore store. So that's cool stuff there, including go play some old games, they've missed you, t-shirts and mugs. Also, do please check out my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. A new episode drops on the 15th of every month, meaning every month you can get your fill of Snoopy and Woodstock and Linus and the kite-eating tree and fuss-budget Lucy and Charlie Brown being all wishy-washy. Whatever you want from Peanuts, I can provide it once a month on the 15th. Good grief. Go check that out. Next time on Atari Bites. 
Okay, here's the thing. It's possible that next time on Atari Bytes we're playing the game Stampede. It is also possible that I may have something else for you next week. There are some things cooking right now that may come together before the next episode, or may not. So I'm going to withhold an announcement at this point. And for now, just assume that we're playing the game Stampede. If you show up here next Sunday and it is not Stampede, I think you will be very happy with what is in its place. And don't worry, we will get to Stampede eventually. Because I know that there is a internet stampede of people eager for the game Stampede. So don't you worry, we will get to it. If not next week, then some other week. So, until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Thank you.